Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the Book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. As you think about the importance of church, as Bonnie was playing, just as I am, it brought back just a flood of memories of sitting in church and singing that as the invitation to Christ was offered to the congregation. And as you think about where we're at in the world, thank God we have church, that we can come together and worship God together. It's so important that we support one another and lift up our voices together and share the common belief of Jesus Christ. Join me in prayer, please. Our Father, we just thank you this morning that you created the institution of church, a place where we can find refuge and support, and that we can bear one another's burdens. And I pray, Lord, as we continue through our study in Romans, that you would open up our hearts and minds to your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're turning in your Bible to the 15th chapter of Romans, let me remind you that last week I started tying two concepts together that are found in the 15th chapter of Romans. One is is the unity of the church, as Paul deals with both the weak and mature believer gathering and assembling together within the church and how the, the church should be unified in belief and thought, and then glorification. And remember, as I mentioned last week, that unity doesn't mean that everybody is your best friend in church. And if you remember, I said it should be an impossibility in the fact that the church should cross all different lines. We should have different generations in church. We should have different educational backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds. The church should be, for lack of a better word, cosmopolitan as it comes together and tied together in the unity of Jesus Christ. So when you have unity, so unity is built upon doctrinal thought. When we're together and we have the thought based upon the word of God, what happens is is that we glorify God. And you can see this in the fifth and sixth verse of Romans 15. It says, now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at those three words, actually four, but like-minded, one mind and one mouth. Now, There's a caveat to that. It says, according to Christ Jesus. So as we come together, we have one mind, one mouth that is based upon the centrality of Jesus Christ. 
And through that, it says that we glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, last week, instead of going ahead right into Christians glorifying God, I spent last week pointing out that non-Christians seek glory, but it's not the glory of God, it's self-glorification. And if you recall, I brought up Galatians chapter 5, works of the flesh. And as we read through that, I pointed out three that are the most obvious of self-glorification. Contentions, jealousies, and selfish ambitions. If you think about those works of the flesh, that is brought out through people trying to get what they deserve, right? They're so busy trying to reach a certain status or a desired end according to fleshly things that they create contentions, jealousies, and selfish ambitions. So the pursuit and promotion of self-interest are all over these three that I just mentioned. That's the natural man. But something happens when we meet the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't rehabilitate. He regenerates. Now what does that mean? It means that we're new. We're not rehabilitated. We're new. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that. It reads, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Unfortunately, because the church has stopped teaching doctrine, people look at the church as the great rehabilitator. The church isn't a rehabilitator. The church is a regenerator through the power of Jesus Christ. We are new. We are brand new. Now, if Christ made me and he made you new, he didn't do it for grins. There's a purpose to it. There's a purpose in the fact that we are regenerated. And that ultimate purpose of why we have been made new in Christ Jesus is His glory. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. As I have self-confessed before, Ephesians 1 is my favorite chapter in the entire Bible. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, it says, In Him... And him's capitalized, so it's referring to Christ. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Why did Jesus Christ save you. He saved you, ultimately, so that you would glorify Him. There it says it plainly in Ephesians chapter 1. And the reason why I want to spend so much time on this topic of glorification and glorifying God is that if you look at your salvation as a static event, In other words, a one-time event. 
something that you did in your past. And that salvation, that you just stop right there, this topic of glorification isn't going to mean a whole lot to you. And in fact, I would argue that your salvation is less than it should be as you experience it. But if you've got the context right of your salvation within this idea of glorification, your salvation then becomes dynamic. It means that your faith is alive and active. And we could bring back that old Baptist phrase that's appropriate, I was saved, I'm being saved, I will be saved, which doctrinally is the idea of justification, your positional holiness, sanctification, your practical holiness, glorification, your ultimate holiness when we're transformed and we see Christ face to face. But if I can look at glorification in the correct terms, it means that I am living out my life according to the will and truth of Jesus Christ. Which brings us to our topic and our question of the day. What does it mean for a Christian to glorify God? And if you remember in the original language in the Greek, the word's doxa. It's where we get the word doxology as we sing the doxology. And so what does it mean for me to glorify God? First of all, the believer glorifies God when they verbally acknowledge God acting or moving among men. So one way is our voice. If you'll turn to Mark chapter 2, in Mark chapter 2, Jesus is healing the paralytic. And in verse 11, Jesus looks at the paralytic and he says, I say to you, arise Take up your bed and go to your house. In verse 12, it says immediately. In other words, he wasn't slow, was he? Immediately. He arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all. And that all were amazed. And I have to say, if you put yourself in that particular position, if you've seen this person that's been a paralytic and and he's there and you know him and you know his family, and then Jesus comes and he says, take up your bed and walk, and the guy hops up with his bed and goes on, you're going to be amazed, aren't you? But then look at what happens next. They glorified God. They glorified God. We shouldn't be any different. When we see God move, when we see God move, we are to give Him the glory and praise and thanks that He deserves. Sometimes as a believer, we can be guilty of praying for something, and we pray, and we pray, and we pray, and then God answers our prayers And then we're just on to the next problem of the day. I think we could admit we've all been guilty of that. But what we need to do is stop and give God glory. 
we should glorify God and give Him thanks. Now, as I've shared before, I grew up in a time where we had testimony time in church. And in fact, in some small way, we have that on our Wednesday night service as we come together and as we share and we pray for one another and as we give updates on what we've been praying for, there is an opportunity. And we've had people take advantage of that to say, I want to stop right now and give God the glory and give him the thanks. Unfortunately, as Modern people have become so intelligent and sophisticated. Well, that's, we don't need to be doing that. We don't need to be doing that. Absolutely, we need to be doing that. And I will say, if you ever want to share your testimony of what God's doing in your life, you just let me know. That should be something that we do, not only in Wednesday night. But also, if something happens and you want to share, and we should not be embarrassed. People say, well, I'll be embarrassed. Why in the world? Why in the world should you be embarrassed? That God has moved in your life and you want to give him the credit. Now, think about it this way. If you go to a really good restaurant and you just had the most fabulous meal, what are you going to do? You are going to tell people about it, aren't you? Are you embarrassed by that? You're not, are you? Why in the world should believers be embarrassed about telling other believers that God has acted in in their life? We shouldn't be embarrassed. We should give him the praise. We should give him the thanks. It should be part of our regular conversation. This is what God is doing in my life. Now, When you have that, when you have people that are willing to stand up and say, this is where I was, this is what I was doing, this is what God did, let me tell you, you're just encouraging everyone in the congregation to pursue God. And I can stand up here until I'm blue in my face, but let me tell you, I have experienced when lay people stand up. And say, this is what God is doing. You catch other people's ears. First of all, you've given God the credit. Second of all, you've said, God is alive in my life. Third, you are just encouraging the maturity of other believers. If God moved in their life, God will move in my life. So therefore, I want to pursue God. We glorify Him with our mouth. Contrast that with the natural man. In 2 Timothy 3.2, talking about in the last days, it reads, for men will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. In other words, they're not thankful. They're boasters. They want to believe that everything comes from their own power and might. How do we contrast society with the Christian faith? 
is we give God the credit for moving among us. The lost person looks and says, well, why do I want to go to church? Well, if we would be more vocal, they'd see the reason. That God is moving among the hearts and minds and lives of the believers. Well, there's a second way that we glorify God, and that's the way that we live. The way that we live. We're called to be different. The Bible says we're aliens, we're pilgrims, we're sojourners. And there needs to be a visible difference between the way that we live and the way that non-believers live. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is telling the Corinthian church in verse 18, he says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify, there's the word, glorify God in your body, in your spirit, which are God's. A saved person is a redeemed person. I have been purchased off the slave block of sin, just as you, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I was purchased with the blood of Jesus. You were purchased with the blood of Jesus. And he has brought you into his kingdom. And my life isn't my life. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And how do I glorify that act of redemption? which I and you should forever be grateful, I glorify Him in what I do and how I live. We should be about taking an inventory of how we live our life and say, am I glorifying God? Remember, I guess it was about 20 years ago, everybody started wearing those bracelets. The acronym, What Would Jesus Do? And while that's kind of become old as far as those bracelets are concerned, isn't that still a valid question? For you and I to ask ourselves, am I doing something right now at this moment that is Christ-honoring? Am I doing something that is going to further the truth of Jesus Christ. Our life is God's. Look at Romans 6, verse 15, verses that we've already studied. But it says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death, or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness, and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now, present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. 
Our pursuit of holiness glorifies God. It magnifies the power of God. And that's what we've been called to do. We've been called to glorify God through our life. Now, that's going to come at a cost. By the way, you're never done doing this. You're never done until he calls you home. And through the power of sanctification, through the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, and as he moves you more and more towards holiness, your views change, your friends change, your outlook changes. As you start asking yourself, am I glorifying God in what I'm doing? But I'm going to tell you this. Whatever you give up, God's going to replace it with so much more. You will ask yourself, how in the world did I live like that? Why did I think that that was going to bring me joy and happiness? As you continue to loosen the grip of the things of this world and tighten the grip on the things of God, my friend, you will experience all the joy and peace and happiness that God has in store for you as you glorify Him. Next thing is that we glorify God in our prayer life. We glorify God in our prayer life. Turn with me to John 15. John 15, 5. These are the words of Christ. Christ said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them in the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified." Now, let's stop right there and let's look at 7 and 8 again. If you abide in me, in my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. It's tempting, and I've seen people do this before, they take 7 and 8 and they separate it. But those two verses are together. And what this means is, is that if you abide with the Father, you are at one with the Father, you're at one with Christ, and you are praying for the things that you should be praying for. You're not praying for your wish list. You're praying for what you should be praying for. And when you pray for the kingdom of God, when you pray for the will of God, God answers your prayers and the Father is glorified. And this feeds right back into our testimony time. And I've said this before. We use a whiteboard. Years ago, we used paper on prayer requests on the easel. And on every Wednesday night, we'd write those down. And and so we'd have however many pages are on an easel pad. Let's say it was 50. So it's a year-long journal of what we had been praying for. And before we changed the pads, we would sit there and we would start flipping through the pages of the previous 50 pages of what we had been praying for. And it was always amazing to me 
answered prayer, answered prayer, answered prayer, answered prayer, as we took a timeline of what we'd been praying for. And then at that particular point in time, of course, naturally, we would give God the praise because He answered our prayers. He answers our prayers when we are at one with Him. We glorify God when we are in unity with the Father. That's why prayer is so important. Now, contrast this to the natural man's prayer. And that's in James 4. In James 4, and I agree with John MacArthur's commentary on this, he said James 4 has to deal with lost people. And you look at that, and at first I used to struggle with that comment, but then when you really think about it as you read James 4, and MacArthur brings up this comment, that you are dealing with wheat and tares in the church. In other words, believers and unbelievers. That's a fact that happens. God tells us that, that there are believers and unbelievers sown among the church. And when you look at James 4, he's dealing with an unbeliever in the church. And it says in James 4, starting in verse 1, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? And this isn't church members. This is body. This is your body. He goes, you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet... You do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. An unbeliever has an unproductive prayer life. Because what are they praying for? God's the celestial Santa Claus, right? God, I want this. I want that. I'm praying for that. And you're not praying for the will of God. The believer is abiding with Christ. And in abiding with Christ, the Father and the Son and the believer are one and they're praying for the will of God and the accomplishment of His kingdom. And you want to see God act in your life, let me tell you, start praying for His will. Start praying for His will in your life and you will see God move in your life. I used to pray for all those things in the flesh. In fact, I told Wednesday night prayer group before I'd be embarrassed. Thank God there's there's not a heavenly tape recorder. Because I would be embarrassed of the stupid things that I used to pray for. And then I started studying prayer. And then I was convicted. And then as a young preacher, I was preaching topically through prayer. And then I got really convicted. Prayer isn't about our trivial, temporary, fleshly wants. Prayer is about us partnering with God in His truth. And when we do that, and we see God move and act, 
We give him the glory and the praise, and he's glorified. The natural man prays for the things that they want. The natural man pursues self. The saved man pursues God. Lastly, we glorify God when we use our gifts. Turn with me to 1 Peter 4, verse 7. It reads, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We glorify God when we execute our gifts. And looking at verse 7, it says, Be serious and watchful in your prayers. Earlier than that, he said, The end is at hand. And when we were in Israel, I was sitting with one of the staff members who were on the trip, and we were having breakfast together, and, and he knew I was a preacher. And he said, tell me, he goes, how, how did you get called? And I said, well, I've fought the call for years. And I said, then one day when I was in my early 30s, I was diagnosed with cancer. And I had put off my call for years and years. I'd fought the call. And then all of a sudden I came to the realization that I might have to stand before a holy and righteous God who had given me a gift and I failed to use it. And it got me in the pulpit. And I'll tell you, you couldn't make me give this up. Now, each of you, each of you, it says that you've been given a gift. Look at verse 10. As each one, it doesn't say as some. And you may sit there and say, well, speaking makes me nervous. I don't feel like I'm a teacher. I can't sing. There's a lot more gifts than that. There's a lot more gifts than that. And I don't know about you, but I'm growing more and more confident that we are at the end of time. And just as I faced my own mortality nearly 30 years ago, we all are going to see him one way or the other. He's either going to take us or he's going to come get us. And ask yourself a question. Because the question that I'm fixing to ask you is going to reorient your whole life if you start pursuing it. Are you living according to the gift that God has given you? Now, if you say no, but I'm going to start, God's going to reorient your life. He is. But he's going to replace it with so much more. Isn't that how you want to live your life if God calls you home? Don't you want to be able to say that you were pursuing the things of God? Everything else, everything else 
is a waste of time. But the eternal Christ is there, ready to speak to you, assist you, as you move and reorient your life to glorify him. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you for your wonderful, wonderful word. And I pray, Lord, that we would all evaluate our life, not just once, but Lord, I pray that we might be like Paul saying, I die daily. I pray that every day we might look at our life and say, have I glorified Christ today? I pray, Lord, that we might say that individually and also collectively as a church. That we might be about one primary task, and that is to glorify you. I pray, Lord, that if there is someone who's never given their life to Christ, that they would accept Christ today by repenting, turning from their sins, asking for forgiveness and turning to the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, millcreekchurch.org.